Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Can I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? And just before I, I read the scriptures today, just want to flag up one thing. Uh, Dana and I are working behind the scenes on uh, pulling together our summer edition of Habits of the Home, our, our family devotional guide. We're going to be releasing those on Sunday, the 2nd of July, uh, to create space for you as families to be able to huddle together, to be able to listen to the words of the scriptures together, to be challenged around God's dreams for different areas of our lives, whether it's um, our homes, our families, our friendship circles, um, our schools, our universities, uh, the things that we do every single day. God, what are you dreaming about for those spaces? We're going to spend some time over the summer working through that. And then we're also building some family challenges for us to be able to play together as families and enjoy the summer together. So if you do want a copy of a printed copy of Habits of the Home, uh, which we will be giving out on the 2nd of July. Can I really encourage you to jump onto your weekly emails or onto our social media? Um, and you'll be able to, uh, there's a link there, you'll be able to sign up. We don't want to print off so many and be stuck with like loads of copies. We want to be sustainable in our thinking um, and in our practice as a church. So if you do want a copy, can I really encourage you this week to jump onto um, our socials or onto our weekly email and you'll be able to sign up for a copy of Habits of the Home. All right, um, today I'm going to be wrapping up our Blessed Life series. Over the past few months, we have been working our way through the Beatitudes, the opening lines of Jesus' teaching on the mountainside. And for one last time, I'd love to read them together. So if you're able, can I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word? This is the words of Jesus uh, from Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin at verse 3. He's gathered a crowd and gathered his disciples close by. And Jesus begins to teach by saying this. Come, Holy Spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you whenever people insult you, persecute you, and, say all kinds of, and falsely say all kinds of things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, given to us so that we may know the love of the Father, may practice the way of the Son, and be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? And can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open into the Sermon of the Mount as we work through this today? We've been asking ourselves the question over the past couple of weeks, who are the blessed ones so often we have in our imagination a picture of who the blessed ones are, and yet through this series, we have seen Jesus flipping the tables of power, privilege, and popularity, and seeing that his kingdom is lavishly laid at the feet of those that we so often consider to be the least in the world. 
through Jesus' teaching, we see that it is the unexpected ones, the hurting, the overlooked, the ordinary, who Jesus calls blessed. Makarios, he says to them, congratulations. Congratulations to the poor in spirit. Congratulations to those who mourn. Congratulations to the meek, to the hungry, and to the persecuted. Congratulations to you. Here we find Jesus drawing really close to the likes of those who would have been gathered around him on the mountainside and the likes of those who are gathered here today, if we're honest, the overlooked ones, the needy ones, the ones who are dealing with their stuff, the stuck, the spiritually bankrupt, you and me. And through the Beatitudes, we find Jesus saying, Makarios, I'm here, I'm close by. You are the blessed ones because I am right beside you. I began this series with the words of Frederick Dale Bruner whenever he said, the Beatitudes, they are concentrated gospel. Now, you may have noticed this in the past couple of years, but you can now get quadruple strength. Some people call it different things. Some people call it dilutant juice. Other people call it dilutant. Some people who are kind of posh call it cordial. And for me, I just call it cordial. Like I kind of say it with a big J in the middle of it all. Uh, so the Beatitudes, they are kind of like drinking cordial, uh, quadruple strength, cordial, straight from the bottle. You're not kind of putting some water in that thing. You're just going straight, straight from the quadruple strength, cordial. So I think the Beatitudes are a little bit like that. They're concentrated, potent gospel. Because for those of us who don't have it all together, for those of us who struggle, for those of us who have been weighed down by our shame or by system, for those of us who haven't done anything to receive it or to deserve it, a life under God's care is available to us. The Beatitudes show us that no human condition excludes blessedness. No one of you is beyond Beatitudes. Nothing that you have faced or will face will take you beyond the blessing of God. In the Beatitudes, on the mountainside, we find Jesus laying this hospitable table and inviting us to feast upon grace, upon grace. Makarios, he says to us, you are welcome to receive my kingdom. The Beatitudes, they are concentrated gospel. They are grace upon grace. And they so often subvert our understanding of who is blessed. But today, as I wrap up the series... I want us to pay close attention to how Jesus' teaching on the mountainside invites us to reimagine not just who the blessed are, but what the blessed life actually is. Because whenever we get to the end of verse 12 here, Jesus didn't just wrap things up. He didn't say, this is the word of the Lord, amen, and they just sauntered back down the mountain. No, Jesus keeps on going. In fact, he is only getting started whenever he gets to verse 13. The Beatitudes, they are the setup. He's gathered everyone around. He's got everyone's attention. The kingdom of the heavens is available to you, he says. But he also wants to teach us about how we are to live into this kingdom, how we are to arrange our lives in light of this concentrated gospel. And so Jesus here, he teaches us about becoming distinctive, becoming like salt and light, about being beacons of the kingdom like a light on a hill. He teaches on anger, on lust and sexual purity. He teaches about going the extra mile for those who have wronged us. He talks about loving our enemies. He teaches us how to be generous. 
He tackles really big topics today, like, or for today, like anxiety, judgment, and comparison. Here, Jesus teaches us how to pray. He teaches us how to fast. He shows us the shape of what life should look like. He tells us that we should be careful about seeing people who say stuff about themselves, but the fruit of their lives shows something different. He also teaches on the danger of doing Jesus-y things, but never spending any time with him. It is all in there. And then he wraps it up. And he wraps it up at the end of chapter 7. I'd love you to turn there with me. Matthew 7, verse 24. Jesus says this. Therefore, basically in light of everything that I've said, everyone who hears these words of mine, i.e. the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, they're like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." And whenever Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with blessing, but he ends this sermon with warning. And the warning goes a little like this. There are two builders. Both of these builders hear the teachings of Jesus. They are gathered around him. They both hear this invitation to live this blessed life. They hear what it looks like to live this life out but only one of them actually does something about it. The builder who both hears and does, the ones who receive this invitation and respond with obedience, well, they build their lives on a firm foundation, on the life of Jesus. He is the rock, and their lives, they are now stable and they are strong, especially whenever storms come. Yet the other builder, while they hear from Jesus, They don't do what Jesus is inviting them into. They don't fix their lives to him. And so their life is built on pretty shaky ground. Whenever a storm comes, the foundation of their living, it can't sustain them. It can't hold them up. This parable is so clear. We teach it to our children. Jesus wants us to both hear his teaching, but to also put his teaching into practice. And whenever we do both of those things, we become the wise. Whenever inevitable troubles hit, you will face troubles in your life. Whenever that happens, if we live wisely, we will be not necessarily protected from troubles, but we will be protected within the troubles. God will care for us in them. Now, I know so many of you know this parable. You could rhyme it off by heart. But I want you today to see the shape of the blessed life. Do you want to fire up the circle, Raymond Forrest? The blessed life, it begins with invitation. It begins with grace. It begins with the Beatitudes. It begins with us hearing the Messiah's Makarios. Congratulations, I am with you. And yet this grace, it enables us and empowers us to go on and live the Jesus life in the Jesus way. Invitation releases us into action. Grace opens us up to obedience. Hearing is to always be coupled with doing. As James would say, not James told, but the other James, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. 
do what it says. Although James would also say the same thing. He's pretty theologically astute. Um, Through the bookends of this sermon, we see the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. A life that is marked by a gracious invitation, but a life that is also to be marked by our practical obedience. These dynamics are to be tethered together. We see Jesus teaching about this all of the time in the New Testament. For instance, in John 15, where we are invited to abide or root ourselves or rest in the vine that is Jesus so that we are able to be fruitful in the life of his kingdom. Both of these dynamics have to be tethered together. Jesus, full of grace, he welcomes us into this new life. And at the same time, he invites us to take on his lifestyle, us learning to do his father's will. That is the shape of the blessed life. And yet we see through the example of the foolish builder, that isn't always the case. It is not inevitable that this will happen. And the difference between the wise builder and the foolish builder, the difference is about discipleship. Here we see the distinction between discipleship and non-discipleship. The wise builder was a disciple, both a hearer and a doer of the teachings of Jesus. The wise builder knew that you can't just drift into discipleship. You have to take the Jesus way of living and work it, put it to practice in your everyday life. I'm talking about your thoughts, your intentions, your choices, your bodies, your relationships, your work, your home, your finances, what happens behind the scenes of your life whenever nobody is watching. That is the arena. All of that is the arena where we are to follow the way of Jesus. As Robert Mulholland would say, it's going to appear on the screen, the Christian journey or discipleship is an intentional and continual commitment to a lifelong process of growth towards wholeness in Christ. Notice those words, intentional continual commitment, process, and growth. Disciples are those who work out their salvation, yes, through fear and trembling, but also through practice, arranging their lives around the teachings of Jesus by embodying them, doing them. Disciples, they're not content with what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would have called cheap grace, a consumeristic kind of grace. Cheap grace is all invitation, but it is no action. It's a bargain bin grace that unfortunately has marked so many of our backstories, particularly because we've grown up in a religious culture here, but also because we've grown up through a number of decades in the life of the church where there's just so much of a weird emphasis on selling stuff to Christians so that we can consume them and grow in our faith because we're buying things. I'm going to just avoid that for a minute because you'll hear me go off on one. Through cheap grace, you get forgiveness from the bad stuff that you've done. You get to show up to church for a little while. You get to enjoy a few religious goods and experiences, but you just kind of leave it at that. This December, Emma and I are going to be celebrating our 10-year wedding anniversary. Um, I'm just doing it for the whoops. That's all I'm saying. Before. So on the... 2nd of December 2013, I always remember the anniversary. So does Emma, by the way, that sounds as if I remember it. She doesn't. We always remember the wedding anniversary. Um, On the 2nd of December 2013, we gathered in a church with our family and friends, our nearest and dearest. And Emma and I stood at the front and we made some vows together. 
And in that moment, publicly, we took on a new identity. That new identity was Team Bothwell. And yet, that new identity, well, we have been trying our best in the decades since to try to live into that identity, putting that new identity into practice in the daily rhythm of our lives. That means that we arrange our lives around each other. We make sacrifices for each other. We want to spend as much time together as we possibly can. We say no to things so that we can say yes to each other. We choose one another. We listen to one another. We spend time devoted to one another. If we just made our vows on the 2nd of December 2013, we had a great wedding. Our wedding was class, by the way. But if we had a great wedding and just left it at that, we just moved in together but just kind of lived as roommates never spending any time together, never choosing one another, not arranging our lives with one another, that would just be really weird, right? The event of a wedding without the lifelong commitment of a marriage, it doesn't add up to much. And this is what discipleship is all about. So often for many of us, we have the wedding day experience where we get to receive this new identity and yet we do not choose to work out this identity in the course of our lives. This identity marker moment, it is so valuable, it is precious and it is important and yet we need to live into this way of living that is full of fidelity, choosing one another, fellowshipping with one another as it is in marriage for us, so it is with our relationship with Jesus. True disciples, they have no time for cheap grace. They have discovered treasure that treasure is buried under a field. And so our only response is to sell everything that we have and go and buy the field. We've embraced a costly kind of grace because we have chosen to follow after Jesus. And why? Because he alone is worth it. The difference between these two builders is discipleship. It is commitment. It is obedience. It is the life of putting the Sermon of the Mount to work in the routine of our everyday, ordinary lives. As Dallas Willard puts it, as a disciple of Jesus, I am with him by choice and by grace. Notice those two things, grace and choice, invitation and obedience, learning from him how to live in the kingdom of God. This is to say that I am learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were me. Costly, precious, valuable discipleship invites us to ask ourselves, if Jesus was living my life right now, if he was inhabiting my body, how would he go and live life? And therefore, how can I live like that too? And whenever we begin to get a little bit of clarity about what this looks like in our schools and in our universities and in our offices and in our marriages and in the relationships that we have with our neighbors, I could go on and on. Whenever we get a little bit of clarity around how Jesus would live in that moment, and whenever we then learn to have a crack at that, that is discipleship. That is wisdom. And I would say that is the blessed life. Because in our age and in our imaginations, we so often think that the blessed life is the free life, the life where we get to choose to do whatever we want whenever we want it. 
And so we try to seek after that life with everything. We try to earn our way to it. We try to overwork our way to it. We screw people over to try to get there, to try to get to this sense of freedom, which always seems so elusive. We chase it down. We try to build our lives on its foundation only to find out that actually its foundation is really shaky. I want to share um, the words of David Brooks because I think it's really helpful for us as we consider what is the blessed life. Is it freedom? Well, Brooks says this, freedom sucks. Personal, social, emotional freedom, whenever it becomes an ultimate end, it absolutely sucks. It leads to a random, busy life with no discernible direction, no firm foundation, and in which all that's solid just melts into air. It's just like vapor. It turns out that freedom isn't an ocean that you want to spend your life in. Like an exodus, freedom is a river that you want to get across so that you can plant yourself on the other side and fully commit to something. Friends, in the Beatitudes and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us the shape of the blessed life. It is a life that is initiated, but also forever infused by invitation. You never grow up out of the grace of Jesus. But this is a life that is to be marked by commitment, by obedience. It is a life that is worked out in love for others. For those of us who get to hear the Messiah's Makarios and put his teachings into practice, we are living the best and blessed life. Now, all of that is really lofty kind of theory. It's all really good, I think. Um, But I want to take a moment to ground this, to talk a little about how we actually put the teachings of Jesus into practice Because whenever I hear his words like this, so often the question that I'm asking is, well, that's cool, but how? How do I live this life of invitation and obedience? And there's a couple of pieces of the puzzle that I could talk about, the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of spiritual practices, the importance of repetition. Um, There's so many things I could talk about. But I want to focus on one thing this afternoon with the time that we've got left together, which is, well, it's got to do with us, actually, It's got to do with us as a community. I want to focus on how we need each other to be formed into the kind of people that build our lives on the rock that is Jesus. Paul was an apostle. He was a church planter. He was a trainer of leaders. He was a pastor and he was a father figure to many. And Paul wanted to help real people in real towns, in real time, embody the blessed life, this life of invitation and obedience. And he knew exactly what he needed to do to help people do that. And so throughout his writings, you can see a thread uh, that just runs right the way through that shows Paul's desire, his intention, but also his practice. And it's best summed up in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, which says this. It's going to appear on the screen. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Paul is saying here, as I follow after Jesus, as I imitate my life off of his, well, I want you to also follow me as I do that. Let me show you the way of Jesus in practice. There's other examples. There's some going to appear on the screen. Uh, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, something to follow after, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I love the words of Philippians 4. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. 
and the God of peace will be with you. First Thessalonians uh, chapter one, you became imitators of us and the Lord. As an elder, as a father, here we find Paul taking a leaf out of Jesus's discipleship dynamic, his apprenticeship approach by inviting others into his life and saying, hey, follow me, learn from me, imitate me, and I will show you how to live the Jesus life in practice. Paul, he really strikes something here that I think is remarkably important. We need examples. We need mother and father figures to follow after, to guide us into a life of practice. I've been following Jesus seriously for about 15, 16 years. And one of the core elements of my life with Jesus has been choosing to learn from other people about how to do this stuff. Choosing to draw close to ordinary saints who in turn have opened up their hearts and opened up their homes to me. Time and time again, I am looking to the faithful to mother and father figures who let me in and let me see, oh, right, that is what the life of Jesus looks like in practice. I find myself often asking questions, receiving counsel, looking for encouragement, and all the time I am just attentive, not in a creepy way, but just sort of observing people's lives as they arrange their life around the life of Jesus. And I'm able to see, oh, this is what the Sermon of the Mount actually looks like in real life and in real time. This is forgiveness. This is what it looks like to live persistently. This is what a beautiful, healthy marriage looks like. This is how you keep showing up even whenever you journey through grief and loss. I need, and my guess is, you all need embodied, up-close examples to follow after. Because I find as I watch, as I learn, as I imitate, I see that they are living lives that they are imitating Jesus. They're trying their best to follow after him. And so I just spend time with them. I learn from them. And at the start, I kind of mimic them a little bit. I kind of do some of the things that they do. And after a while, I take some of this learning and apply it to my life and to my personality and the shape of the dynamic that Emma and Eliza and I have. I can't express how essential it is to have examples. Mother and father figures in your life to encourage you, to comfort you, and to urge you on into living a life that is worthy of God and his kingdom, as Paul would say. Because whenever it comes to taking the teachings of Jesus from theory, like the first half of this talk, and allowing it to move towards real, lived, practical practice, it has always been the way from Rabbi Jesus that we need guides, we need masters, we need teachers, we need those with an imitatable life to show us how to live life well. We find this with Jesus. As he gathered those disciples around him on the mountainside, he invited them in, graciously invited them into his life. He showed them how to live. He trained them up so that they were then able to grow up. And as they imitated Jesus, they drew others towards them, teaching them how to live the Jesus way. Then they grew up. They were able to establish themselves as examples. And then this, so the whole cycle just continues and continues. Here we find disciples making disciples, making disciples who make disciples. Now, in our tradition, we kind of talk about this as multiplication, but I've heard it recently described as cascading grace, and I really like that. 
I'm going to stick with that. Through the ages, beginning with Jesus on the mountainside, with his disciples huddled around him, grace has cascaded through the life of the saints. Examples have made themselves available and apprentices have imitated them. They have went on to practice the way of Jesus. And I long for grace to continue to cascade through the life of Lagan Valley Vineyard and through the life of this region. And grace will continue to cascade as we learn what it means to spiritually mother and father one another. Or whenever we learn to be swept up in this movement of imitating those who are slightly ahead on the road. This is the Jesus way. This is the best way. This is how we learn to actually live out this way of invitation and obedience. Seeing it before our very eyes and then having a go ourselves. Today, we are hungry, maybe even hungrier than ever, to work out what it means to live the blessed life, a life well lived. And so we are seeking after guidance all the time, but we always get a little bit stuck. And usually it is because we are looking for guidance in the wrong places. Today, you don't need me to tell you this, we we find ourselves in a time whenever um, there's a decline in the institutionalized church. And yet, it could be said that our culture is more religious than it has ever been before. More than ever, people are desperate for guidance, for wisdom, for spiritual wisdom, for examples to follow, for advice on how to live life well. I've heard it said recently that we live in an age of gurus. And whether it's in wellness or political discourse, or productivity, or currency, or cryptocurrency, or tech advice, or spirituality, but especially in the realm of self-help. So many of us are looking for gurus to guide us, to help us learn what it means to live better, to think better, and to act better. And if you want to know who a guru is, they always have three things on the go, a YouTube channel, a book deal, and definitely a podcast, right? And we consume their advice, right? We listen to their rules for life or their long-form conversations, their three-hour-long podcasts, and we try to put them into practice in the work of our lives. And yes, we like them and we subscribe to them, but we also kind of find ourselves following these gurus. Like, please hear me. I am not knocking this search for guidance or for wisdom at all, right? I listen to podcasts and all of that. And, And not all are bad, there's some that are really bad, okay? Um, and you should definitely avoid them. And a lot, there's a lot of nonsense out there. But I'm not knocking this search. But what I do want us to see is that so often these gurus, we've never met them before. These are gurus who are utterly detached from our lives. Gurus who are disembodied behind our screens. And even though we think that they might be, they are not invested in our lives. They are paid to follow the wind of the algorithm wherever the algorithm takes them. And it creates this weird, really, really weird dynamic that is all around us today, which people call parasocial interaction. And parasocial interaction is basically this. It's where we have never met somebody before, but because we consume so much of their content, we feel as if we know them and we feel as if they know us. We begin to trust these people. We begin to follow their advice. We begin to do what they say. 
And yet, so often we find ourselves stuck. We have so much content, so much advice just swirling around us, and yet are we growing into the lifestyle of Jesus? I think our age is defined by what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4. We have countless guides today, but we do not have many fathers. Because so many guides so many voices there's so many platforms there's so much noise there's so many people here wanting to influence us and get paid to do it and yet what we want what we need are mothers and fathers faithful embodied examples of what it looks like to grow into christ-likeness my hunch is is that many of you are searching for examples to follow you want to live life well i get it i do too and we're wanting to follow after people. But can I encourage you? Seek out real people that want to invest in you and love you. Mothers and fathers who are able to lead you into a life well lived. And today I've got some really good news for you, by the way. Look around you. There's lots of them in this room today. There are lots of mothers and fathers who are here willing and ready to invest in you and to lead you on. Listen to the words of Barbara Brown Taylor. By choosing Christ to flesh out the word, God made a lasting decision in favor of incarnation. God's desire for incarnation, it does not end. Those of us who are his body in the world need not shy away from the fact that our flesh and blood continue to be where the word of God is made known. We are living libraries of God's word. Our stories are God's stories. Every one of us bears witness to the truth of God's word. Here, around you, there are so many living libraries of God's word. Faithful mothers and fathers. Some who are old, some who are much younger than you might think. There are those people in this room who are living a life that is imitatable and you should go and imitate them. And it'd be really easy to break this conversation down to kind of the young people and those of you who are slightly older. All of you look 21 in the room, by the way, but you know what I mean. But to those of you who are searching for guidance, for wisdom, you want help to see what does it look like to put this kind of life into practice? I just want to say to you today that there's so many who are here. What should you look for? Who should you look for? Well, Daniel Grothy says this, and he has some, well, he knows what this is all about. He literally chased down Eugene Peterson, asking him to disciple him, and he says this. Look for people who are joyful and composed, those who are living lives of robust sanity. Look for people who have a simple joy radiating from their lives. Look for people who are faithful. Look for people who are faithful. The sages seem to know what is fitting for the moment. And they live open-heartedly before the Lord and open-handedly before God. I find my life that whenever you be able to receive the end of your 30s, or whenever you get into
Intervention Center. I just drift into discipleship. Not like, wow, after this stuff. Not like, wow, after this stuff. I'm just like, going on I'm just a quick, yeah. about living the blessed life, a life of intentional practice, all the while being drawn back to grace, of course, but to be able to live this life out, you need mothers and fathers to follow after. But this is also a two-way thing. Because just as Malachi prophesied about the shape of the kingdom come, yes, the hearts of children will be turned towards their spiritual parents, but the hearts of the saints, the examples the mothers and fathers, they need to be turned towards those that are coming up behind them. And let me just say this, just in case you're thinking it. I'm not just trying to squeeze this in because it's Father's Day today. I'm not just trying to do that, I'm trying to fill a talk. It is my hunch that God is doing something amongst us. It might be kind of behind the scenes, it might be quite deep. But I believe that God is wanting to keep releasing and empowering spiritual mothers and fathers to take their place in seeing grace cascade through them into the generation that is coming up behind them. I think that's what God's doing. I think he's wanting to release and empower spiritual mothers and fathers. And yes, some of you will be elders. Some of you will bear fruit in your old age. You will stay fresh and green. Some of you, you're not done yet and you need to hear that, that even though you might be in your 70s and your 80s, there is still much for you to do in the life of the kingdom and in the life of this church. Uh, but I'm also saying that God is wanting this pattern of cascading grace to flow through us who are in our late 20s and in our 30s and in our 40s and our 50s, all the way up to our 80s and 90s, that we are to go and seek out people that are coming up behind us, those who are younger in the faith and invest in them, invest in the ones and the twos, invest in that young couple, serve them, meet with them regularly, call out what God is doing in their lives and seeing them grow in fruitfulness. We need people to show us what a healthy, beautiful marriage looks like. We need people to show us, actually, let me rephrase that. We need you to show us what a healthy, beautiful marriage looks like. We need you to show us what generosity looks like in practice. We need you to show us what living a just, holy life looks like. We need to see your mistakes. We need to hear about those stories so that we're able to glean wisdom and also see that there is always grace upon grace upon grace. I need you to show me. I need mother and father into the faith. We all need this. And as we choose to live in this way, we begin to see that our growth into the likeness of Jesus, it is not a lone ranger thing where we just kind of crack on with following Jesus. We come into this room on a Sunday and then we clear off. We need to become an intertwined, deeply interconnected ecosystem where we are bound together, each of us growing together. Your formation into the likeness of Jesus, it is not a solitary journey. It is building a home together. And that building of a home, it takes place on the rock that is Christ. 
And as we choose to do this, as we choose to live in this way, trust me, friends, grace will cascade through us as we see people who both hear the teachings of Jesus and learn to do it. In a moment, I want to take some time to pray for some of you. I want to take some time to pray for those of you who sense that God is speaking to you right now, that may be calling you into a new place where he's stirring this deep longing to invest in other people, to invest in the ones and twos, to learn what it means to spiritually mother and father. Some of you are already doing that, but I also do want to create space to pray for you that the Holy Spirit would empower you afresh for the task that you're already doing. And so, James, do you want to come on up? And can I, can I invite us to stand as we, as we take some time to pray together? Friends, would you just lift your hands out to Jesus? Would you set your attention on him? Come, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for the shape of your life, a life that is marked by invitation, but a life that invites us into imitation. Lord, forgive us for the times whenever we have cheapened the life that you have invited us into. Help us, Spirit, to be both hearers of your word, but also doers of them. Make us the wise, I pray. Lead us, Lord Jesus. I want to take a moment to pray for those of you that just sense that God is speaking to you right now about growing into spiritual mother and fatherhood. Those of you who sense that God is stirring something within you to invest in people, to disciple people, to open up your hearts and homes to allow grace to cascade through you. For others of you, you're already doing this. And as I've said, we'd love just to pray that the Spirit would fill you again so that you would be empowered for the task. What trips us up into living as spiritual mothers and fathers is a lack of confidence where we just sense that, you know what? Yeah, God's speaking to me about this, but I don't really have a ton to offer. But so-and-so down the row there, they've got so, so much to offer, so I'm going to let them crack on and do it. And yet all the while, God is he's stirring something deep within you. And so if you're here today and you want to respond, if you want to receive prayer, um, prayer that God would release you and empower you for this task, I'm going to invite you to do something that, well, it requires a little bit of confidence. It's a little bit bold. But it's also very simple. I want to invite you just to raise your hand. And I'm going to ask some people just to come and pray for you. And so if you want to join in on this movement, this cascading, gracious movement of investing in others, of becoming or living further into spiritual mother or fatherhood, would you just stick up your hand? We'd love to pray for you. Keep your hands up. Is there any more? 
And by the way, keep your hands up a second. I'm also speaking to those who are in the late 20s, their 30s, okay? So 40s. Great. Okay, here's what I want you to do. If you're around these people, can you just begin to lay hands on them? Can you look around the room as well as move towards people? Just want to make sure that everybody's got their hand up is getting somebody to pray for them. Yeah. Okay, great. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? And would you fill my friends with your power, Holy Spirit? I pray that you would mark these folks out so that grace may cascade through their lives, that as they imitate you, that you would teach them what it means to live an imitatable life for others to follow. Holy Spirit, would you bless them in this moment? For those of you that are around them, uh, this is a bit sneaky, but you're the ministry team now, okay? So I want you to begin to pray for them. I want you to begin to encourage them, to comfort them, to urge them. I want you to prophesy over them. If you've got a picture or a scripture to just bless them with, I want you to give it to them. So as James and Catherine lead us in worship over the next couple of moments, would you just begin to do some ministry over these mothers and fathers? Even if you might be sons and daughters, would you just begin just to bless these mothers and fathers, release the gifts of the Holy Spirit over them, all right? And for the rest of us, we're gonna worship. We're gonna set our attention on Jesus. But as we sing and as we worship, I want you just to be really open because I think for some of you, the Spirit might just place some people at the forefront of your mind of like, oh, I should go and have a conversation about asking if they can invest in my life. Just be open to what the Spirit's wanting to do. So minister, keep going. Let's worship together and I'll call us back in a few moments.